Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 52 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled The Church of Pergamos, Part 3. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen. And this teaching of the seven churches is about the dark side, Satan and his cohorts, believe it or not, are not creative. They just are not creative. So they, the only hope is they have to take everything that God does and pervert it with the dark side storyline, right? I mean, any great movie today has to take on a messianic type theme before it's successful, right? Uh, but the enemy, and that's what the Antichrist is, the opposite of Christ. And so anything, you don't have to wonder when you see something that appears to be dark, the first question I'll ask myself, okay, what does God have the opposite of what I'm seeing? And you can identify it. Well, then you know, well, this is dark. This is bad. This is not good. And the reason is that the enemy, only thing he can do is replicate from a dark side. He'll give a dark theme to it. And so as Christians, we have to make what I call a distinction between light and darkness. The age that we're living in, we've discussed this before, is a time of, of blurring distinctions, blurring the lines, male, female, black, white, everything's being blurred. And the reason the enemy does that is so you don't make a, a distinction. You'll say, well, it's got a little light in it. It's got a little dark, but it's got a little light, so it must be okay. And that's just so happens if you... There again, I'll say, if you jump off a cliff, you can't say I'm almost falling. It just it doesn't work, you know. And, and same way with mixing dark with light. Uh, it's the, it's the, uh, the consequences will always prevail. So as we're seeing the seven churches, even with this move of God today, we want to keep in mind the enemy. What is the enemy trying to make dark? Uh, in the church house of, of God. And that's just the, uh, the truths that we have to deal with. Let's move on quickly. I will have to, you know, the theme is this, about the second coming of Christ. Everything we do in church is about the second coming of Christ. That's your whole New Testament I've been over. And I've been over the seven churches here, and I've shown you how this works. We're now in Pergamum, the, the third church, it's the rise of the papacy, pop or it's at 313 till the end. This is when, this is talking about a time period that the church and the government mixed. Now, I am not against the church and the government mixing, but there again, I'm not to say that our government is going to be the kingdom of God is not correct. Our government is not the kingdom of God, but our, that we want the kingdom of God to have an influence upon our government. Uh, we don't want to use the kingdom of God. What happens is when you mix a type of religion with government, here's the problem. The, you mix religion with the government, then the laws are going to take over the characteristics of that religion. You see, Christianity is free, and you choose it or you don't choose it. That's what makes it work. Once you make it mandatory, it doesn't work anymore. 
it loses its supernaturalness. Uh, look at Russia today, Putin, what he's doing with the Orthodox Church. He gave a speech this last week that I dare say you would disagree with less than 5% of it. He gave an incredible speech based off of the Bible. Of course, he's got Orthodox guys there with him. To pray. No doubt in my mind they wrote it, and he did a good job delivering it, saying how the West is destroying their young people through, uh, they're, they're saying the West is destroying the nuclear family. You need to, it's online, you need to go. It's just like he copied what the priest of the Orthodox Church gave him to say. And so what they're going to do is, the difference is, they're going to destroy anybody that doesn't. Now, it sounds like a freedom speech almost. But there again, he's doing that at the same time he's killing thousands in Ukraine. Now, I want you to see something as we move forward. There is a, a move of God going on today. And to realize and to understand how the dark side operates and works will not hinder the move of God. It should enhance the Word of God because there might be a few things that Jesus has against us that He wants us to look at. And that's what happens with these seven churches. So now, there again, Pergamos, I'm just going to hit three or four slides to bring us back where we were. The third of the seven messages to the Church of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Each message includes a specific word for the reader to consider. This third letter is to the believers in Pergama, which was a beautiful art-filled city built along two you know, tributaries of the Caucasus River. Now, you've got what, what starts to move forward is this concept of the arts. I'm not sh too sure that the Americans that came, pilgrims that came to America, I'm not too sure that they were that concerned about the arts. Uh, they were probably more concerned about food and a dry roof over their head. And then as you move on, then the RSS is, is uh, uh, as people get established in a country or whatever, then the arts start coming forth. Now, do I think the arts can be good? Yes, but can the arts be bad? They can really be bad, and we'll see this. Pergamon was a center for a worship of Dionysus, Zeus, and other pagan gods. Now, we want to consider this thought. Jonathan Kahn has come out with another book called The Return of the Gods. It's a... Um, I think of just a very true revelation of what's going on around us. And his thesis, if you will, is about how the gods were worshipped 2,000 years ago, 21, 2,200 years ago, three, uh, and how they were worshipped. And then uh, we got in through the last 2,000 years, how now we can see, and I have even shown you in Pergama here, where these ancient temples are now laying in ruins. And this book of Jonathan Kahn just points out how these ancient gods are and have returned. And he also points out, okay, here's this temple being rebuilt in this temple. You remember last time, two weeks ago, I pointed out the, the Parthathon even in, in Nashville. Of, and I think I left one slide in there just to remind us so I'll not get ahead of myself. 
Now here's Pergamos, and we've seen this is the uh, Acropolis there on top. Pergamos was one of the most important cities in the Greek age. It was culturally rich with extensive library at its heart. Now understand, compare that to where we are today. We take great pride in all of our knowledge uh, and everything that humanity knows. And we're under this idea that we're smarter now than we've ever been. That one you might want to take into question. But this is kind of the standard thought of humanity. There's Pergamum at the top. We've already done Ephesus, Smyrna, about 40 miles from Ephesus to Smyrna, about 60 miles from Smyrna. Uh, to Mer Pergamon, then we'll come down to Thyatira will be the next. But you can see they're all uh, there together. Now we had this scripture that we've already went over, just a few of these verses, but we'll do them again. And to the angel of the church in Pergamon write, These things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. So we see that he starts bringing the sharp sword, which is the words of God. Pergamon is the church that has been undermined uh, by corrupt practices and corrupt teachings. So this is where the churches at Pergamum, even though they were in a setting of such corruptness, um, they could do anything and it would show up. But the church was actually very uh, successful. They had the power of the Holy Spirit. They had the power of God. But then we see here that this angel, through the words of Jesus, was saying that you've allowed the culture of Pergamum to creep in to your practices. Pergamum was the center of pagan worship. There was a temple uh, to the Caesar there. Now that's where you see these temples at Pergamum. They'll have the they'll have the temples to the gods, but then they'll have the temple to Caesar. And that was the mixture of the government with the religions. Are you with me? And so you're always. I've heard people say over there, "Well, Alan, we're." We want a non-religious government. Well, the problem with that is it's not a, it can't happen. It can't happen because it will take on the religion of a pagan god or the gods, which is what we're doing today. All of the things that are done in, under the name of we don't want to be religious is very religious. The people that are doing these religious practices are more they're giving themselves more to the pagan uh, practices than we as Christians are sometimes to our own. Now, there's a part that's on here. This is in Nashville. You saw it. I'm not going to go back over it. Uh, but this was built uh, in the, uh, the centennial. Uh, I went over all that. I'm not going to go over it. In Nashville, when it became a state, originally built for Tennessee in 1897, centennial uh, exposition, this replica of the Parthenon in Athens. Now, there it is. That's a real black and white picture. There it is in the center. Now, the original one was built with plywood and plaster. They were planning on taking it down in a few years. It was so, it was one of the major attractions. Uh, that's what is sitting in it is this replica of, of this. Before Nashville was uh, country, it was the Athens of the South, is what they uh, was the theme of Nashville a city that prided itself as a center of learning and enlightenment of the arts and all of that. It was, so there again, keep in mind the idea of the return of the gods. And you say, well, Alan, they're not, it's not in a statue. Well, the yes and no is, is yes and no. Symbols are more real than people realize. 
I'll go as far as say this. Symbols are as real as the real thing in spiritual things. For instance, when you take communion, it's just as real as if it was the real thing. Can you, can you hear me? Now, as Christians, we don't quite associate with how real that is. Understand that. We don't quite associate with the truth of those symbols. We tend to handle symbols kind of lightly, like it's almost a place of make-believe. There's not really any truth there, but we just do it as a ceremony. The part that needs to be reconsidered is there's an understanding of what a symbol is that you might be missing. Now, let me ask you this. If, are you to be a symbol of Christ? When somebody sees you, do they see Christ? Well, only you can answer that, or you can ask others, but there, there again, here's the point. When, see, when you come to church here, it's important to this leadership that you do not leave from here seeing one person is more special than another, one preacher better than another, one singer better than another. I know some people have their people they prefer. But don't fall into, this is our goal. You leave from here, or you have sensed and, and discovered for some, and sensed the presence of God. Now, if you bestow any of that on an individual here, that's okay if you want to praise an individual. But it's not okay because you miss what we're trying to do here. Does anybody bear witness with what I'm trying to say? This is the truth. I'm telling you the truth. Now, most places like to have stars and superstars. If you want to be any of that, don't come here. That is not our goal. It's not our goal. If any elder can stand up here and do what I do, and even some of you in, in, in the congregation. The point being, we don't do stars and superstars here. We have but one. And his name's Jesus. That's not in words only. We really mean it. We really do mean it. It's okay to say somebody say you did a good job there, but don't slobber over them. <laughs> Come on. Don't slobber. Andy and Karen's got a dog, just a beautiful dog, and I love it to death. But if you give it something to eat, it's going to slobber all over you. Now, let's don't do that. Let somebody have to come behind us and wipe a slobber off of your pants and off the floor. That, I got too graphic. Okay, Lord, I'm moving on here. So anyway, we got these symbols. My point is, there's, symbols are more real than maybe you're giving them credit for. Symbols are real. If you have that symbol there, I promise you that God's right around there. It's being worshipped. Why do we do communion here every Sunday? It's a symbol to us that Christ is among us. We're giving testimony to that symbol. And the presence of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, will be in our midst. We have acknowledged His symbol that He's given us. So I'm going to go on. That's when they hosted this uh, thing in 97. Now, we go to Pergamos, you got to understand, symbols. This was where healing was big, as it is even now. A lot, most churches, a lot of churches kind of do away with the healing thing. And I understand, I mean, I don't have a problem understanding that. 
That's not their main, that's not their main thing. And we'll say, well, they just don't quite have it yet. I'd like to introduce to your thought, perhaps a church, if it's to be an evangelical church and that's their thing, that's their specialty, let's honor that church and what they're doing. Is that okay? In other words, God has placed everybody in the body where it pleases Him, this book says, not where it pleases me, but where it pleases Him. So if there's a church and... I dare say very few charismatics would have picked Asbury College for God to have an outpouring. Well, Alan, look at the Methodist Church, what they're doing now in all the pulpits. Well, evidently, it didn't offend God too bad. Right? It was like the Apostle Paul. Paul said, in me first is shown this grace and mercy of God. So in Asbury, God says, yeah, in me first. He's going, okay, yeah, they're doing a bunch of stuff they shouldn't be doing. But God said, I'm going to start it right there where it's needed most. You don't get better and the presence of God shows up. It's in darkness that the light shines. So when we come together as a congregation, it's in our own personal darkness that we allow the light of God to shine upon and we confess and then the presence of God is illuminated in our midst. Now, the healing was a big deal. Healing's still a big deal. And you can say, uh, I got a friend of mine that still says that he believes that this place is to be a, a place of healing, a healing center. Well, I can't think of any better place to be prayed for than in the church. And I've had people say, well, Alan, what if you don't get healed? Well, we'll pray some more. We're, we're being obedient to the book. God's the one that gives the answers to our obedience. Just don't look for evidence to prove your faith. Because faith is the substance of things that are hoped for, evidence of things that are not seen. So if you're requiring things to see before you're going to have more faith, you're doing it backwards. Right? Now, let's move on. Healing's a big deal. This is the Acephalus is called. It's a Greek mythological deity, the god of doctors, medicines, and healing. I went over that some uh, last uh, two weeks ago. That is the statue there. We went over the snake and the staff. That is actually the Acephalus there in Pergamos where they came for teaching on healing. They combined traditional medicine and psychiatry. I thought that kind of interesting. He was considered the god of health and of medicine. Thousands upon thousands came there for healing. Now, the, the Acropolis of Pergamum, this is on top, Acropolis is what is on top of the mountain. This is the ruins that are there now. And they had uh, up to eight to ten gods, temples uh, there. Some, most of them were on uh, top of the Acropolis. And I pointed out before that there's green trees at the upper right-hand corner is where the um, Altar of Zeus is called the Seat of Satan. Uh, it was lower, right in the center of your screen at the bottom in the middle is the temple of, uh, well, I forget. It was the goddess that was over theatrics, theater. That's where, you know, you came up with the mask. So much theater was a sad mask and a happy and, and ancient. But anyway, so that was, they had the temple right there at the theater of that goddess Right here's the altar of Zeus. I want you to see, well, let me look at something here. The altar of Zeus, you see it, it looks like a, 
like an A sideways, let's say. Uh, that's the altar. The first part of it is what is, uh, I've mentioned it last few weeks, uh, is actually uh, in Germany. They, they didn't save the whole thing, but if you'll see the front part of it, where the, is the, where the cross into the A is, uh, that behind there is where they did sacrifices. Let me go just a little further. I think I even got a better one than that. Now, Zeus was a king of Mount Olympus. Now, there again, you've got these ancient gods uh, of what we call mythology. And at one time, uh, it was thought of as just mythology. But one thing that we're seeing today is that these gods of mythology is really gods of the spirit world. And it's the gods with the little G that you read in your Bible. Uh, but that's the uh, Zeus. He was the king or the head over all of the gods. Now, what did Baal worship look like? Let's get on with it here. Now, Baal was the god worshipped in many ancient Middle Eastern communities, especially among the Canaanites who apparently considered him a fertility deity and one of the most important uh, gods in the pantheon. Uh, ritualistic Baal worship looked like this. Adults would gather around the altar of Baal. Infants would then be burned alive as a sacrificial offering to the deity amid horrific screams and the stench of charred human flesh. Congregates, men and women alike, would then engage in bisexual orgies. Do you see how we have a form of that happening today, but also how we're legitimizing male, female, uh, orgies, and the like. Let's move on. The Satanic Temple, now watch this, opens a clinic to provide religious abortion care. Published February 1st, 2023, Fox News. Is that not a little bit shocking? New Mexico. The, the Church of Satan has now gotten license to be a uh, abortion clinic. So you can come there, they'll pay for everything, have your abortion, and then they'll use the baby, which they call the fetus, I call it a baby. They, they will then use them in re religious rituals. And when you're having your abortion, it's a religious ritual. That's happening now. How, how can you be that sick? I mean, is that, that seems like to me that'd make the devil puke. I mean, isn't that the sick of sickness? But they, yet, what would we expect? Now, watch this. These services will be provided free of charge as part of the Satanic Temple's abortion ritual. The New Mexico facility will be operated by licensed medical staff and will make its services available to state residents who are at least 17 years old, up to 11 weeks pregnant, and medically eligible for an abortion. There you go. You got, in other words, they'll license a satanic temple, but they won't allow you to stand anywhere and pray for them. Do you think they will allow right there also their Christian church to have an alternative to the satanic temple? Mm -mm. You, you can't be in so many yards or so. I don't forget what it is. It's, it's just... Uh, there again, I'm not trying to make you sick, but I am trying to make you aware of where we are.
You, you can look that up. Published February 1st, 2023, like three or four weeks ago. The Satanic Temple claims that the abortion ritual, and they call it that, is an essential religious practice protected under state religious freedom uh, reservation acts. And they agreed. The state agreed. Now, that's happening with us today. Let's get back to the altar end of Zeus here. King of the gods, ruler of the Mount Olympus, god of the sky, lightning, thunder, law, order, and justice. This is the main god, the major god. Now, let's see what Jesus had to say here. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr. You see that? Who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. So it looks here that Jesus is very well of the martyrdom of Antipas here. And he also makes it uh, an, an issue with the church. Now let's look at why he does that. Now the altar of Zeus, known as Satan's seat, was built between 197 and 156 B.C. there in Pergamon. Now here it is in Germany. Uh, so what we had, and I've got a little more on this, uh, where this guy went over there and got the ruins and brought them back to Germany, and he rebuilt the temple. Now, as, as I was showing you, they ju that's just got the front half of it. You see that? That's the front. Behind there, they in the walls in Pergama, is where the altar was and all of the sacrifices took place. And you can even see some of the uh, things that have been placed back on the sides there under the the entrance there. Uh, it is that was supposed to for Zeus. It was it was in its original form to look like a big throne that it was like a big seat that he would sit on, and these were the steps going up to the throne of Zeus. Was the idea? It is here that Hitler first adored it. So with that symbol, Hitler got some type of spiritual empowerment. And there's a whole backdrop on that thing. You could take you 30 days if you want anybody wanted to know it. I don't know that it's a place to teach in church, but it's there. And it's, it will blow your mind how he was after. All, he understood the entrance of symbols. He got it. He really got it. Now watch this. There it is, another view of that altar there in Germany. And uh, you can see some of the uh, artifacts are actually missing there on the right side on the wall. In other words, he gathered up all these pieces and and uh, put back together what he could. Right, this is not an active altar for sacrifice today, I might add now, but that's not my point. Zeus is the Greek equivalent of the Canaanite uh, Phoenician god Baal. In the same way, that Roman Jupiter is the latter equivalent of Zeus. This is where... It was started, and I gave you a few weeks ago what this was. This is a, uh, one of the gods got upset because he wanted this goddess. And, and anyway, so it ended up that uh, Zeus took on the form of a bull, and, uh, and then he got the maiden and carried her off. That's, and that, so that was the symbol. Baal took on the symbol of a bronze bull. And so we know this story, right, Israel? And you're like, well, why did they build an image of a bull? I mean, I'm around them every day. I'm not that impressed. So, so it's not about being impressed. It's about the symbol. I wouldn't have picked a bull. 
just a, maybe a peacock or something, but not a bull, right? Uh, I mean, there's nothing that... Uh, anyway, so Israel worshipped the golden calf. So now you, you start getting more understanding of why did they build a golden calf. I'm going to give you even a little more understanding. I, I touched on this. Uh, that's, a, that's a bull. Uh, anybody know where that is? It's Wall Street. It was actually put out there, I think, uh, the charging bull, bronze bull was dropped off the night of December 15th, 89, in front of the New York Stock Exchange. In 1986, it was the second largest stock market drop that brought a worldwide recession. And so two, two to three years later, we find somebody creates this big bronze bull and drops it off at night in front of Wall Street. It's actually been moved to a little better location where it is there now. I don't know if it's a block or two down. I forget exactly where it's at, but they had to move it for some reason. It's still there, not at the exact spot that it was dropped off. Now, here's this verse that we just read. Antipas, Antipas, the first leader and martyr of the early church, Christian church, is believed to have been slain on this altar, slowly roasting to death inside the statue of the bull of the symbol of Zeus. Now, this is what the angel uh, Jesus is referring to this martyr uh, leader, uh, Antipas. Now, Antipas was probably placed over the church in Pergamum at one time. He was probably the leader that was uh, actually probably placed there by John. Let's go on a little further here. According to Christian tradition, John the Apostle ordained Antipas as bishop of Pergamum during the reign of the Roman Emperor Nero. Now, if you know anything about Nero, he was a booger. Uh, the traditional accounts go on to say Antipas was martyred during the reign of Nero by uh, burning in a brazen bull-shaped altar for casting out demons worshipped by the local population. Now, what Antipas was known for was the casting out of demons, healing and casting out demons. What he was known for, he was going through Pergamum, all his pagan <laughs> demons everywhere, and he was casting the demons out of everybody. The way... The priest of the temple of Zeus cast the demons out of you. Was they put you in this bull and roasted you to death. And they said all of the hollering and screaming that person was doing was the demons coming out. But it just so happens they didn't live through it. So what did, how did they martyr Antipas? They put him in that same brazen bull and roasted him. It's a symbol. It's a mockery unto the power of God. That's what that means when, when he refers to Jesus and the angel refer to the martyrdom of Antipas. What he was known for was the casting out of these demons. There's another rendering of him in this brazen uh, bull. So anytime I see the bull of Wall Street, that's what I think of. Uh, there is a, a portrait, uh, actually a paint actual, of what he looked like. So he was uh, martyred for the faith in Pergamum. So therefore they, and that was probably on, in the back of, of, um, of the temple of Zeus. It appears this bull was on the altar of Zeus. Now, there is the actual site of the altar of Zeus. The original site of the altar of Zeus and Satan's seed is Pergamus. That's those little green trees that I showed you in the, in the beginning slide. 
Uh, approximately 2,000 years after the Revelation 2.13 was written, a German archaeologist in uh, 1880s removed the Mass's altar of Zeus from the ruins of Pergamos and took it to Berlin, where it was restored in the centerpiece of the Pergama uh, Museum. Now, on the Acropolis of Pergamos, was, all of that was religious center. It's on top of the mountain. The great altar of Pergamos, of course, was Zeus uh, that was there. Now, I'm going to show you this. Pergamon altar itself is now housed in the Pergamon Museum in Berlin. And uh, in the second half of the 19th century, stones in the ancient uh, citadel on the Acropolis of Pergamon were being burned in order to procure lime. The farmers were doing that, bad farmers. So evacuations, excavations uh, sponsored by the Berlin Museum were carried out between 1878 and 1876. And that is it right there. Anybody know what that is? That's where Hitler had his rallies. Hitler had these big rallies. You remember seeing them on TV, perhaps. And he was after all these numbers of people coming to these big rallies. It is here that Hitler later built an outdoor replica of it from which he gave a series of speeches that memorized many Germans. So he saw this altar of Zeus, seed of Satan, and he wanted to duplicate it. So that's what he built. And you'll see it a little bit more here. There is his, uh, that's actually a book, Martin Kitchen Spear, Hitler's Architect. That's another thing, how demonic, how they would, there again, they capture and copy. Uh, there they are looking at the plans, an actual picture. They were so proud of it. And there's another rendering of how they had people and he, uh, Hitler would be up. I mean, look at that, it's massive. Absolutely massive of this area that Hitler built when he gave his speeches. Nazi rallies uh, being held at the, he called it the Cathedral of Light. That was what Hitler named it in Nuremberg. Designed by Albert Speer, the cathedral actually consists of 152 anti-aircraft searchlights at intervals, 12 meters, aimed skyward to create a series of vertical bars surrounding the audience. There it is at night. He had these lights. He was showing that this was all in, in the spirit. This is where the light is. These lights were replicas of these columns of, this, of the temple of Zeus. You see it? He was duplicating that. He was turning it into a religious experience. Are you with me? That's what he was doing. Now, this is important. Now, there is what he had that was... Uh, anti-aircraft searchlight, and that's, what, that's what's creating those columns. All of those are symbols, but they're powerful. The hallmark of Hitler's events, the Cathedral of Lights, there's a bigger picture of what was going on. Look at that. And he would, he would hold these, and people would come from everywhere. And he would use these as his platform of his preaching, if you will. Now, here, here's what he actually did. The meetings had a religious overtone. Hitler cast himself as a type of a Messiah, Germany's Savior. Everybody's looking for that Savior. Anytime anyone is seeking control over another, it will take on a religious dimension. Can you hear me? There's nothing any more dangerous than Christianity done incorrectly. I've seen husbands lord Christianity over their lives to control them, making themselves look like the Messiah. Now listen to me, I'm telling you the truth. 
Well, the Bible says this. Yeah, go ahead. See how well that works for you. The Bible does say it, but you got to get the message of the Bible. It's called the love of God. Religion is what's used to control people. So the enemy wants us to use Christianity to control people. Because as long as we're trying to control people, we're not trying to win people. Can anybody hear what I'm saying? Well, I can look at all of the corruption going on in the United States today, but the church must own this corruption. We must take authority over this corruption and win people. We can't create laws. You can't, laws do not create morality. You've got to come to Christ. And a religious spirit will try to keep you busy. So you're not calling people into the kingdom. Come on now, I'm telling you the truth. You might not want to hear me again, but that's what a religion, well, they're doing this wrong. They're doing, I know there's right and wrong. But when you feel like that's your mission, your mission you're missing the point. My question is, how many are you leading to Christ? That's the question we ask ourselves. And you say, well, Alan, I've never led anybody to Christ. Well, you might have a critical spirit. You're welcome. That's right. Too critical to give forth the love of God. The love of God is what people seek, sinners seek. So anyway, so Hitler, he duplicates this religious movement. Now watch this. I'm going to give you another one. This is why politicians will first tell you how bad everything is and then how they are, your, are the Savior. I can tell you like that one. I just told you the truth. I like Donald Trump, and I'll vote for Donald Trump. But I don't like that he tries to be this, look like he's the Savior. I don't like it. I like the policies. I like what he's standing on. But I also know this truth that I just told you. A little bit of a danger here. As Christians think Donald Trump's your Savior, look out. That's the problem with this thing. It just so happened, his platform, I'm going to vote for him. But if he doesn't fall to the big head, he's going to be lucky. God's going to have to be with him. Y'all don't look like you're that happy with me. I'm a happy man. I'm a happy man. Hitler was very aware of this spiritual movement. He took advantage of it. Here's our problem. I'm your savior. That's the reason you come to church here. Nobody up here is your savior. We worship no one. If I'm speaking, they're singing, whoever's up here, you're going to do something wrong sooner or later. I'm just giving my confession first. That's all. So when you nail my hide to the wall, I'm going to say, well, I told you so. The Holocaust is a revelation of truth, sacrificing innocent men and women and children is the spirit of the Antichrist. How do you know you've been taken to the cleaners? How do you know you've had a Hitler? How do you know you've had an Antichrist? Because it always has mixed into it the death of men and women and children. Always has that. Why do I have problems with the Democratic platform? I'll never vote the Democratic platform, and I'll say it out loud, because it has a portion in the platform. I already know the backstory. 
It's death of men, women, and children. It's sacrifice to Baal. And people say, well, Alan, you picking sides? I'm picking truth. Three sides, right, left, and God. If the first two violate God, you violate God. Reckon this is my last message? I don't know. Now, here we go. Here's what happened. See, see, Hitler said he's the big leader. He's the Savior. But what happened with the Holocaust? Look here. He's the Savior, all right. Look at that. Look at that. He's the Savior. Here's what I want you to see. An ant spirit of an antichrist always equals death of people. If it's got the death of people in the platform, it's antichrist. It's all, you, it's all you need to know. Are we doing it today? Is the Holocaust still going on? Well, we give it a pretty good blow, but it's still going on. I thank God for our victory on overturning of Roe versus Wade. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we love you. And Lord, I pray, you know our deal, Lord, if there's anything that I've said that's not of you, I pray that this crowd here will just overlook it and throw it down. But if anything I've said is of you, Lord, I pray it'll be quickened to our spirit. We can see truth and we know truth. Lord, help us see in our own personal lives how that the world's culture has entered our lives. Please help us to see it, O oh God, and help us to repent. When we are agreeing with things that we shouldn't, when we're doing things that we shouldn't, help us be a people, O oh God, that you'd be pleased with. Be with us in our worship. Come today, O oh God, as only you can come. Let your people, O oh God, let us experience your presence. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.